Hey, so good to be with you again. My name is Jeff Fuller, J. Fuller Interviews on YouTube, the Facebook group, Instagram, and Twitter. And we are excited to have one of my favorites going back a long way to when I was young. And I guess she was too. Here is Jeff, the OG, Leonor Till. Leonor, good to have you on. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. And so Jeff, the girl from Five Iron Frenzy, uh, I listened to an interview and you shared that story. You probably grow weary of sharing that nickname, <laughs> but could you just do it one more time for our listeners? Where did you come up with Jeff, the girl? Yeah. So when I was 12, I was in a play and the character's name was Jeff and I was a tomboy. Can you believe that? And so the youth pastor said to everybody, call her Jeff. And everyone did. And it stuck. Well, that's uh, quite the name. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Jeff. I like that name, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had to grow into it myself. Right. But um, I like how uh, I'm a pastor and sometimes uh, I get talking so fast, I don't make sense. And I mentioned once <laughs> that it's good to be self-defecating and I meant self-deprecating. Yeah. Uh, yep. Sometimes <laughs> you talk about um, how Jesus loves the losers and how uh, being part of ska and punk, it was just kind of those misfits. When did you kind of come into yourself and when did you figure out like you didn't have to play that role, so to speak anymore? Right. So I became a punk rocker and a Christian around the same time, around 15, 16. And, uh, so I really loved punk music, but I learned right away that those lyrics were not very glorifying to the Lord. And so since I grew up in the countryside, I didn't have Christian music where I grew up. And so I would change the lyrics. So I would change old punk rock songs to talk about God and Christ. And then I met these weird guys um, through my cousin Micah. And these guys were in a Christian metal band called Exumator. And I started going to their shows and they taught me about um, Christian music. And they also taught me a lot about God, like started to disciple me and teach me more about the Bible and the real message. And so through the beginning years in Five Iron Frenzy, I was 18 when I joined. I really became discipled from being in the band, from the record label, from the, the pastors and the booking agents at the shows and just by weekly Bible studies. And so started to grow into um, basically a Christian woman that understood that you are not a loser in Christ. Yeah. You are fully redeemed, you are fully loved, and you have a lot of um, of credit when it comes to the Lord. But sometimes the world's not always gonna see that when you have like blue hair and pink hair and nose piercings and tattoos and the, what the world values and what Christ values is so different. So uh, Leonor, I think I have, yeah, of course I don't have it uh, fitting, but you have a podcast. I'm gonna share the screen now. Yep. as well uh too punk to be a hippie and uh <laughs> being here in vermont we have a lot where we affectionately call uh granolas crunchies uh yeah. that's vermont culture now can you just share a little bit about what prompted you to start this podcast and what have you learned so far with gardening and composting and growing pickles or whatever it is right <laughs> So my mom, growing up in the countryside, she had a massive garden, huge, and she would spend every morning there. And I think it was like her time with God and to get away from kids. And so I always valued it, but I didn't know how to do it. And so I realized as I got older and lived in downtown Denver that there was something inside of me that cared about the earth, cared about connecting to God through nature and health, but really had nowhere to start. And so I thought, I'm not going to do this journey unless I have accountability. So making a podcast was like a built-in accountability. So if you say 
I'm going to buy plants and learn about plants. I'm going to make a garden or I'm going to compost. If you say it to an audience, even if you don't know them, it makes you want to do it. And so that has helped. Um, so yeah, I have a garden going right now. And to be honest, I was just out there earlier and the cucumbers finally have little flowers coming up and it's, you have no idea like baby tomatoes, the joy that you feel when the food after the first two months of watering, sometimes starting from seeds inside to planting it and hoping it makes it outside to hail storms and protecting it to finally we're going to, we might get something <laughs> takes a long time. So you are in Colorado. Can you just share a little bit about how you grew up, where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up in Northern Colorado, which is um, about an hour between Fort Collins and Cheyenne, Wyoming, kind of out there. And so my uh, background is Mexican-American. My grandparents on both sides are Mexican-American. And so there is a different style culturally where dirt roads, chickens, bunch of kids running around, menudo, tamales. Um, my mom was a migrant worker growing up and uh, a lot of poverty in my family, as well as not a lot of people um, graduating high school. I was the first one in my mom's family after my mom to go to, well, to graduate high school, first of all, and even go to college. So um, culturally, I grew up very different than my other band members in Five Iron Frenzy that were probably suburbanites. <laughs> so yeah, my lifestyle was very different going from dirt road to Denver, Colorado to be in this punk band. Now, were your parents musical? Where, when did you find out that you were musical, that you enjoyed music? Yeah, so my dad, his name is Art Ortega. Do you know who Cheech is, Cheech and Chong? Yeah, yeah. Okay, my dad talks like Cheech. I'm not exaggerating. He is Cheech with the mustache and everything, right? Um, and so thick Spanish accent. And my mom was going to college, night school, when I was a little girl between five and nine. And so in the evenings, we had a music room. In our house, we had a whole room dedicated to jamming. And we had uh, trumpets, saxophones, piano, a bunch of bongos and percussive instruments. Hmm. And my dad would play vinyl, the old... Um, Motown mostly, and we would jam, just he and I, just rock out, and even like choreographed dance moves. And so this is where I learned to rock out to Motown, but also my dad liked gospel music, some Spanish gospel music, The Messengers, Andre Crouch, um, just really emotional music. And so honestly, like there'd be times where we would get emotional spiritually too. So it was a really formative time for me around music, God, my dad, culture. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, I just smiled because my daughter a few years ago took up the euphonium. I had no idea what the euphonium I, was. You have to remind me. I don't know. <laughs> so it, it's kind of like the baritone. She didn't okay. want to do the flute or the saxophone like all of her friends. So she mm -hmm. picked the largest instrument they offered. And uh, behind this wall is where we live. This section here is like the church sanctuary area. Right. So it's nice telling her, hey, you can go practice in the church side. Mm -hmm. uh, was that a labor of love learning to play the sax or did it just come naturally? I wasn't very good, to be honest. Um, I didn't have a lot of resources uh, growing up. So we had a little band in my tiny, tiny, tiny high school. It was so small, like about 300 kids. So I was the only tenor, tenor saxophone player and alto saxophone player. So when I joined Five Iron Frenzy after graduating, the band came up with a mission statement for our band. And one of the things on there was, we have to be musically good. And so I think it was their sneaky way of saying, Jeff, 
the band has decided out of the goodness of our heart and because of our mission statement that we are going to pay for your saxophone lessons, <laughs> which I understood. And I, I pretended to be cool with it. And I was cool with it. Like it just, to be honest, the other guys who went to bigger high schools and had marching band and jazz band and theory and all of these different resources, I was way behind. I was probably playing at a sixth grade level. So let's jump forward, then we'll jump back. Five Iron Frenzy on your uh, knuckles is written, we're back. Could you just talk about <laughs> what caused you guys to uh, return and how exciting is it now in this stage of life just to be a part of Five Iron Frenzy? Right. So just a little bit of yeah history. When I was 18, I joined Five Iron Frenzy. And then I was in that band till 2003. And when we decided to break up, it was under good terms. It's probably one of the only bands that I know that had a spiritual retreat with a pastor, talked about our lives. People were getting married. People were in serious relationships. We had been in the band a long time, wanted to do something else. So on good terms, we decided to uh, do a final tour and a final album. And it was heartbreaking because, you know, the last year we were putting out all these good songs. We were playing as, as perfectly as we could have. Like that last show at the Fillmore in Denver, Colorado was probably the epic show we've ever played, the tightest um, and anyway, so then we broke up for maybe eight or nine years. We were broken up. Um, everybody got married in the band to different people, obviously. And uh, I had two kids. Um, and we were just finding different careers, finding different jobs. Some people had moved away from Denver. And most of us had not been very much in touch. And then there were some rumors that Five Iron Frenzy might get back together. The rumors started at Cornerstone Festival. Yeah. And it was kind of my fault because I had said to somebody, it would be amazing. And they misquoted me in a blog and said, Five Iron Frenzy commits to coming back. And then I had all these phone calls and all the guys in the band that I hadn't even heard of in a long time were saying, what did you say? What did you do? And then Reese said, we should all have a phone call. And I thought, you know, to say hello. Yeah. And we all had a phone call and Reese said, I would love to get back together. And Scott, who hadn't been in the band in a long time, said, I've been writing songs and I would love to hear you guys on them. And my heart about stopped. And I think Micah and I were like, don't joke around about this, Scott. It's not funny. It's like our whole life. We love it. We love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we got back together in 2011. So it makes me uh, kind of laugh because now you're in charge of all the uh, interviews and some of the marketing. So what if you misspeak again? What are you going to get the band <laughs> into? It's one of those. I do misspeak. We all do. There's eight of us. You can't control us. There's no no censoring us. And so with eight people in the band, uh, mm -hmm. you're the only female, especially when you're 18, first starting out. Uh, was it just like being with older brothers? Uh, how close were you to the other band members? And talk about being on the road. Like, how did fights get resolved uh, <laughs> over those years? Okay, so all the guys treat me differently. So Micah, he's my cousin. Our grandpas are brothers. And so he's almost like a brother. We would share hotel rooms. We kind of have a lot in common culturally. Andy, our drummer, is definitely a hot-tempered Italian, and it's awesome because he will uh, make sure that I'm protected, that I'm safe. He's kind of always aware of where I am. Um, and then the other guys are kind of like my best friends. Like, um, there are fights. There are definitely fights. Fights will usually happen when someone feels sensitive about something, and 
they want it their way at the expense of everybody else and it just happens and so there are some people where you have to avoid them for a couple months maybe and just wait for them to experience that you love them because you've been kind and then there's other people where you have to have a face-to-face -face, this hurt me and you suck and i what i like about guys i mean men and women are somewhat different and one thing about men that i've learned is they will just say it and then they'll just forgive you and you just walk on and yeah. it doesn't come up again and there's not this weird you know i i like that where it's like you hurt me i'm sorry the end <laughs> so that's been nice Let's get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of uh, writing music. And I heard a podcast recently where you just shared how uh, anybody could bring a song or lyrics mm -hmm. together. First of all, your inspiration for writing songs, is that from what you read, what you're learning? Is it just super spiritual and the Holy Spirit tells you what to write? Uh, what is your mm -hmm. process as far as putting a song together? Uh, there's been a couple different processes. In the beginning, it was just poems. And then if Reese can't come up with lyrics, I would take one of my poems and kind of adapt it. But honestly, the Holy Spirit has helped, I would say. There's been times with the song Something Like Laughter. I wrote the lyrics and melody to that. And I wrote the lyrics and melody to All That Is Good. And that song began as a poem kind of talking about one of the lines is, do all streams lead to one sea? And for any young Christian, as you've been a Christian for a while, you you morph your spirituality i i like to say faith is fluid yeah it never stands still and so things that i said that i believed in my 20s you know you get to your 30s and you're like wow i've learned a lot i'm changing a lot i'm growing a lot my identity with christ is growing and so you have to adapt but that doesn't mean that you're like losing all of it right you're not just sure. dismissing everything and so some of those lyrics the holy spirit has really helped me because i feel with five iron that it's it's too big to be a coincidence. Obviously God is glorified and is using this. And so I don't wanna just waste my opportunity to encourage somebody. So it's been interesting knowing that we have a big audience and knowing that our lyrics matter. And that's really good. And I have a confession. And my friend, uh, I have to just, my friend said, oh, you want to have Leonor on because you used to have a crush on her. And I said, no, that, that's not my confession. Now, yeah. uh, the confession is I am not musical and I grew up playing sports. And so I mm -hmm. would thought hip hop rap was what I was supposed to listen to. Then when I went to Bible college and then it was introduced to you guys and I was like, whoa, this music is fun it's different than that <laughs> hip hop than that rap and yeah. something about just ska with the horns um just describe it a little bit because for me it was just so new and different i was like oh this is mm -hmm. something i could latch on to but just talk about the style of music that you've been involved with yeah and i didn't grow up with a lot of ska either when i was about 15 i saw skank and pickle at a local club and i was like what is this people are spazzing out there's horns <laughs> there's loudness it's like it's like chicago or Motown with some of those horns like Tower Power, but with punk. Yeah. And I loved it because I already played saxophone and because I my dad had grown me up with, you know, little little beats in the Tower of Power and like funk, you know? But yeah. this added the punk beat and I was so into it. And so one of the things that I did a couple years ago and you could look into is called Pick It Up. I was one of the producers on a uh, ska documentary. Sure. And that describes in detail how ska started in jamaica hmm. when the jamaican people were trying to mimic motown but made it their own and had their own spice to it and their own upbeats the accent on the upbeats and then how it traveled from jamaica to um two-tone ska 
went to, and then you Madness and the specials, and basically all the uh, mixed race bands that are not racist, but they call themselves skinheads. And yeah. they also are talking about working class, fun party music. And then, of course, the punk rockers in the States get a hold of this music and just, then you have East Coast ska, West Coast ska, yeah. uh, third wave ska, American ska is just all over the place. And that is what Five Iron decided to play because we thought it was very joyful. And when Five Iron Frenzy first began as a heavy metal band with Exhumator, the guys in the band were like, you know what? We're not angsty. We're not angry. We have the love mm -hmm. of Christ and we're sick of grunge and we're sick of metal. So that's why we went with ska. That's really cool. Um, hey, so please tell that story. I referred to it on Facebook, I think it was, about you had a professor that kind of prayed <laughs> for something to happen. Just talk about how you got yeah. that uh, tenor saxophone. Yeah, so like I said, I had a music room with my dad, and he had bought me a pawn, pawn shop saxophone. So my alto saxophone came from the pawn shop. It was not very good, and I joined Fire Iron, and we were playing shows. And they said, because we had a trombone and a trumpet, we really want you to play tenor. And so you have to get a tenor. And I'm thinking, I'm really poor. I live in the dorm. I eat ramen. You know, how am I going to get a $2,000 tenor saxophone? And so I was going to Colorado Christian University at the time in Denver. And I brought it up in class. Like I had, you know, a blue mohawk back then. I was definitely, I definitely stood out. And so I, you know, said to our professor, uh, my, my uh, I don't remember what class he taught. And I said, can we please put on the board for the prayer request that I get another job? So I was already working at Baskin Robbins ice cream. You know, I need another job right. so I can save up to get a tenor saxophone. And he wrote and he prayed, Lord, we just ask that you miraculously give Jeff a saxophone. And I was mad. I really was mad because I thought now it's too much. You asked God for too much. He's not going to do it. Well, this is one of those stories where I went home that night to my dorm and my dad called me and he said, I know you aren't playing tenor and you've never really played one, but your uncle who plays at a church in Los Angeles is sending you a tenor because he, this horn is too loud for him, for his worship service, <laughs> too loud. And so it's being shipped here. So right? I yeah, it's... <laughs> It's pretty phenomenal, and it's a lot of fun. Um, so I do want to know, like, why didn't you ask the professor to pray for more things after that? Do you think he had a <laughs> straight connection to God, or what was it? No, probably because I was just blown away. That was probably good enough, like getting that horn. And then can I just go on with the story? Yeah. yeah. So here's the other part. So then, like I said, nine years happened between Five Iron Frenzy breaking up and getting back together. Well, so I had put away my horns. I hadn't played. I'd been pregnant. I'd had kids. I was working at Scum of the Earth Church doing ministry. I ran into my uncle from Los Angeles. He was visiting and we're just chatting. And at this point, I know Five Iron Frenzy is getting back together, but he doesn't know. And I can't tell my dad because he can't keep a secret to save his life. So we've already been writing new songs and recording. And I'm going into the studio soon. And I mentioned this to my uncle Zeke and I said, um, and he's Christian too. And I said, you know, actually, I didn't mention it. I just, we're just talking. He pulls out of his pocket a mouthpiece. This is the same thing. And he said, I brought this from Los Angeles because it's too loud when I play at church. Wow. Do you have a use for it? It's a $300 mouthpiece. And that's the one I recorded Engine of a Million Plots with our album when we got back together. And he didn't even know we were getting back together. It's awesome. And yeah. uh, 
I just want you to share a little bit too, because when you said you first started the band, or we're young, a lot of times what we think Jesus is about is just how we grew up and what we learned. But as we grow up uh, even further and we understand God's grace and how immense he is, it kind of takes deeper root in a different, maybe less legalistic fashion. Right. You guys, I feel, have done a tremendous job. This is why I really enjoy Five Iron, is that you do a good job, a great job connecting people with the truth of Jesus, but also in a less preachy way. I don't know yeah. how to put that, but uh, <laughs> why do you do that so intentionally? Does it come naturally? Is there debate mm -hmm. amongst band members about how bold to be? Uh, right. Share a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it does come naturally because we were band geeks. A lot of the guys in our band were raised by single mothers. That's part of their story from coming from divorced backgrounds. Um, we we didn't have a lot of clout. We were spiritual and loved Jesus, but we weren't taken seriously because of the tattoos, because we were over the top. Um, and we kind of always were too Christian for the secular scene and too secular for the Christian scene. Like we went on Warped Tour. Um, you know, we went on Scott Gets Racism. We would open up for all these bands like Less Than Jake and the Pie Tasters and Cherry Pop and Daddies and all these bands that would just make my mom like her eyeballs roll out of her head. And I'm like, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be um, in the culture and with the culture and understanding the culture, not because we're not part of it, because part of us are. We are just punk kids. We are just learning this along with everybody else. And so we never felt like it was absolutely the mission field. It felt like these are concerts, these are shows, these are kids, you know? And then the same for Christian. You could be you could be playing with yeah. Switchfoot. You could be playing a massive Christian festival like Creation. And of course, they put us on the fringe stage, which I don't mind. And like right. Acquire the Fire, it's like, oh man, this is like, we're right on the line here, but all the kids smoking outside are gonna come in to see Five Iron Frenzy. And so I know we were like the token, um, you know, the token fringe stage band, but yeah. our message is definitely that Christ loves all of us, whether you are the prep or the loser or the stoner or the burnout or the atheist, it doesn't really matter. So that's a fact. And I think that uh, it's definitely timely that you guys are back, but could you just share about how important is it that Christians engage in conversations that make us uncomfortable. If not uh, today, mm -hmm. there's never been a day where it's so right. important that we get out of our uh, castles and into the, uh, yeah. into the streets. Well, that's part of the problem is I learned when I was going to church, which I, I still go to church. I think going to church is good, but sometimes you go to church and then you join a small group and then your friends are in church and then you're in a mom's group and pretty soon all your world, 90% of your world is the event, the volunteer, the service, the the church, the kids, and then your nuclear family, and suddenly there's no room for God or outreach. Right. And if all your friends are Christians, and if all you do 90% of your time is hang out with people who agree with you, then how are you offering fruit and light? If you don't know your neighbors, if you aren't serving in secular organizations and you know getting to know different people, um, if you don't find some hobbies and some interests that are outside of church doors, and in fact, I struggle with a lot of times pastors in general, pastors and staff of church. They're the ones that don't have any time built into their schedule to make that time to have friends. They should be playing volleyball or picnicking or having groups or just non quote unquote spiritual time, even in their job so that they can, you, you don't want to just say outreach, but so that they can impact the culture. 
I I definitely agree. Um, and you could probably uh, ask people within our <laughs> congregation. I probably spend too much time, but I think that's where we're supposed to be. But uh, right. this is kind of a pointed question. Maybe, I don't know. But uh, with your two children, how old are they? And do you, where's that healthy rhythm of protecting them, but also really encouraging them to be the church, yeah. not just go to church? Right. So my son just turned 14 and my daughter is 12. And they were raised going to a church called Scum of the Earth Church. And that is fascinating because it's not your typical church. It was created out of the Five Iron Frenzy Bible study after shows. And so it started in a coffee shop, then a carpet warehouse, then an old Safeway a grocery store. So eventually it did get a church. But in fact, right now there's a skate ramp in the church, like a half pipe. Yeah. And there's a slide in the sanctuary in case kids get bored. So they didn't grow up in typical church. The good about that is that they understand that homeless people are still Mr. and Mrs., that yeah. you respect homeless people, but you also have to have an understanding of safety. At the church, at the physical church, all the kids there know you don't run around. You, it's not the kind of church where kids just can go unsupervised, right? They understand when they see somebody on the street, don't call the cops, call detox. My kids got that at a young yeah. age. They understand um, that there are gutter punks that could live in vehicles or dumpster dive. And they understand that you don't have to keep up with the Joneses to be a good person. Definitely. Um, so if anything, I have had to work harder to try and make them feel comfortable in a suburban church right. where they're looking at me going, mom, this is cheesy. <laughs> or you don't have a beautiful, crusty piece of bread for communion that you just dump in to right. some juice. They're going, this little piece of this little cup. And they're like, mom, this isn't communion like this. Nobody, what, where's the bread? They used to be small and they dig out, you know, all the cushy bread as yeah. the kids. But, but I want them to know that suburbanite Christianity is Christianity too. We are not better than because we do it one way. It's there's, there's so many different aspects of Christianity. And so as they get older, one of the things I want to teach them too is broaden their horizon by trying different cultural experiences in church so i say this very carefully uh someone just stated that black lives matter does not mean that black lives are better which i agree with yeah uh, i do look at the current um situation our country is in and uh, not just for you with your uh, mexican-american uh background but also mm -hmm. with being female and just the me too uh movement was huge revealing uh different things that took place that were hidden yeah. and covered up. Did you find any of that when you were on the road, whether it was uh, other bands, uh, fans, where they would mm -hmm. cross that line, especially with you being the female in that eight person band? Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, I need to at all times be completely aware of where I am, whom I'm around. There's been times where the guys go out at night and there'll be people in the crowd that make me uncomfortable and I'll say, I'm not going, or I need to just be aware. Um, another thing about our voice, as far as women go, like there are times where I want to be part of the songwriting process and other people will just take over. Yeah. And it's hard because I want to assert myself, but I also, it's not that I don't think you can write a good part. I know you can, but would you allow me to also use my voice? It's For a different sure. voice. And there was one punk rock band, a Christian punk rock band called Jump Ship Quick. And it was these beefy Canadian Christians and they love the Lord. <laughs> and I don't know why, but they asked me to produce their album. 
And I looked at their lyrics and I thought, these are a lot of heavy handed lyrics. Hmm. And I said, it's good to say, we don't like this about the world. We don't like this about Christianity. We don't like these pastors all about money. We don't like Hollywood. We don't like insane clampossy. Fine, we get it. I started to change the lyrics with their permission and said, how can we also look inward? Hmm. How can we also look at the dialogue so that it's just not blasting people because Christ didn't come at it just that way. He had a balance, right? right. right. Um, and so they were so funny because in the beginning they were like, but we don't want our lyrics to be feminine. I said, it's not feminine. It's right. not feminine to, to say the meek will inherit the earth. It's not feminine to say I need to grow. It's not feminine to admit fault. Um, and so it's been fascinating through the conversation of Me Too to say what aspects of, of quote unquote femininity and masculinity are really just true for all people and they're going to improve our mental health as a nation. No, it's so true. And I really enjoy Brene Brown and she talks a lot about mm -hmm. vulnerability, but with vulnerability needs to come accountability so we can grow and we aren't just stuck in one place. When I first listened to you guys for the first time, it was a Cornerstone Festival around 99, maybe. But you were recording a live album mm -hmm. and uh, Reese shared uh, from the stage that he had just gone through a devastating breakup. And I actually right. snuck on the bus a couple of days later and talked to him. And he was just so engaging with just being heartbroken and just really searching for God in that mm -hmm. moment. Can you talk about how, I mean... Characters born out of adversity. How have you experienced that? How is the band? And it seems to come out in a lot of your music. Right. So one of the heavier albums, lyrically and musically, that we wrote is called Five Iron Frenzy 2 Electric Boogaloo, which is a ridiculous name, but that's the way we do it. You kind of salt and pepper the heavy with the light. And that album was after Reese had gone through a terrible heartbreak and after my brother had passed away, after Columbine. I mean, these are very heavy, heavy moments for our whole band because they knew my brother. Um, and then when Columbine happened, we were at Gospel Music Awards in GMA in uh, Nashville. And we were actually in a hotel room watching the news because Micah's sister was at the school hiding out. Wow. And so we were watching that live. Um, so I think that the music has been one of the gifts God has given us to grow like a way to say, I've experienced this and I still love Jesus, even though I have questions, yeah. even though I have doubts, even though I have anger. And now that I'm 43, Jeff, the audacity is that I can say about God and about life, I don't like this. Yeah. There was a long time where I thought saying, I don't like this or I don't understand was sinful. Hmm. And now I can say, God, you are good, but I don't like this. I don't get it and I need help. And so part of the faith being fluid aspect is understanding the balance between becoming a Pharisee that is like, I've got it all together right. and becoming just jaded and saying, I don't have anything together. There's a sweet spot in the middle that says there's a lot I don't know, but I know God is good. And so we're just going to go with that. <laughs> yeah. And for me, the pendulum swings uh, one extreme to the other. I need to settle a little bit more into the uh, balance. Uh, when Five Iron Frenzy, when you guys were at your peak or maybe you're at your peak now, just talk to me about how you had to remain humble. But uh, how challenging was it just to go in somewhere and people knew who you were? They wanted your autographs, <laughs> pictures, all right. of that. Uh, just share yeah. about the maturity that needed to take place during those times and how you grew. I knew that we had crossed a line in 
popularity when it was Halloween and there were young girls that were me. <laughs> I was like, what? You're wearing army fatigues and Doc Martens and you have dye in your hair and spikes and you're, who are you? And they're like, you, Jeff the girl. And I was like, mm -hmm. ah, this is weird. And I actually started to cry because I, I went to the school bus, which is what you had been on, what we traveled in. And I called my mom and I said, I don't want people to be me. I don't want them to emulate me. I don't want them to look up to me because I'm not worthy of that. And and I also was bummed because I was like, I just want to be an arrow for Jesus. Yeah. And if they see me, they're missing the point. And so it's been hard because honestly, when people put you on a pedestal, you start to act like you deserve to be on a pedestal. Yeah. And then when I would go home from tours where towels and showers are brought, you know, you have this nice hotel just for a shower. You're not even going to stay there. Then you get in the bus and travel. You're in a tour bus, like not even the school bus, a nice tour bus, yeah. good meals. You're making money. You're a rock star. I would go home and just kind of get into a depression because I wanted the world to just cater to me. And all my friends would say, you're kind of being a jerk. <laughs> so share a little bit about when you got married. What was that relationship like? Was it nice to have somebody that knew you as just Leonore? Or was that a hard uh, process just to um, just to share in? Yeah, I didn't think that I would get married when I was in Five Iron. I had dated a few people, but um, it was just, it takes a really strong person to trust me and be cool with me traveling a lot and to not always come, but also be cool with coming. Um, and also, I just, I was drawn to Stephen um, because his personality was very relaxed. He was a missionary kid. He grew up in Greece. Hmm. Um, he moved to the States when he was 14. And so what we had in common is we didn't identify with, I don't know, I guess you could say suburbia. Me being Mexican-American, he was drawn to that because he understood the Greek Mediterranean culture. Sure. He liked all the big, big crowds of people, the food, the loud, the affectionate. Um, and so it was interesting getting to know him. And I think part of the reason that our romance developed is because my brother had passed away and my brother had always been that quiet, soft-spoken, loving, peaceful person. And then when I was around Stephen, my friend, I felt that calm because I'm pretty hyper. And so uh, it took a couple years before I was like, oh, wow, there's more here. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, share a little bit more about uh, when your brother passed away. How did your, your um, faith grow in that crisis? And uh, did it really flounder at that time? It did not flounder, um, and that was because I was given a gift. And I had gone to church the first time after my brother passed away. He had died in a car accident. He was 20, I was 24, and he was driving really fast down the mountains. And uh, it was devastating. And I remember going to church and thinking and praying basically out loud and saying, God, I, I don't want to hate you, but I feel like I'm at a crossroads. Yeah. This is where I go angry or this is where I go soft. And I truly felt like God was hugging me and saying to me, well, Jesus saying, I didn't do this to you. I am mourning with you. Hmm. And I said, good, because I didn't want to hate you. And, and it was one of those moments where I was like, that, that was like a gift, like one of those moments. And then the other thing that happened after that was I decided to live life really, really, really well for the two of us, for me and my brother. Yeah. So, for instance, if there's an ocean, I don't care if I have clothes on, I will jump in. Or if there's a roller coaster, whatever it is, like sometimes people feel like, oh, should I do this? Should I not? Yeah. I'm going to do it. Because 
life is short. And so that that passing of my brother, obviously very sad, but in a weird way, it opened up my doors to say, God, use me however, because I know he's good. I know my, my brother's name is Carlos. I know he's good. Now, let's just focus on living this life so that I can get, get back there. That's a great perspective. Um, who are the mentors in your life? Was it your parents? Was it a teacher? Who really kind of helped you develop this strong foundation that, well, so many kids, so many people really uh, seem not to have right now? So one of the main mentors in my life was and is a woman named Amy Croft. And she she's just this lady that lives down the street from me. She lives a pretty basic life. She's She has a horse, which is cool. Um, but she always says things that just challenge me. And so for the past 20 years, she's been my mentor. She started being my mentor when I was in a relationship with Stephen and she was gonna kind of help me with my relationship. But I learned that her wisdom in the Lord is so different than the way I think about life. So certain things as far as when you have kids, she would say, this is the hardest time of your life. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. And she'd be like, don't watch HGTV. Don't read house magazines that make you want to have everything in order. That is not what the Lord has for you this season. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Or like simple things like don't nag at your husband all day long because that's not going to work. You know, and, and not only that, but also health and beauty. Like yeah. back when I first got married, she said, leave a line item in your budget for looking good and feeling good about yourself things like this that you would never really think like when women let themselves go, it's like, there's no money for me. It's like, Oh no, there's money for me. <laughs> so that's a huge, uh, well, big question. And my daughter is uh, 16. She's going into oh. her junior year of high school. And so just that whole identity, she's beautiful. I say she's beautiful, but she doesn't have a boyfriend. So sometimes she's like, <laughs> dad, that's just you saying that I'm beautiful. It's like, no, you are. You don't need a boyfriend right now. You're only 16. <laughs> yeah. How how can we as dads reinforce beauty with our daughters mm. or with our spouses? I think there is something to um, to words. I will say that. I also had a pastor, and it may feel uncomfortable because I was a tomboy, but let's say for a wedding I dressed up or got my hair dyed. He, would, he wouldn't go on and on and on, but he would say, your hair looks pretty. Hmm. As men, it is okay. We've gone so far to the other side that we pretty much don't acknowledge a, a person's physicality at all. Yeah. And that's also doing an injustice. Um, and Reese Roper will say that. When I get my hair dyed or when I do something, he'll say, you look so pretty. And I know it's just a little comment, but it'll puff me up all day and make me feel good. And I don't think it's inappropriate. I think it's wonderful that he can say that for me. So, Leonora, we'll get you out in a couple questions. Thank you so much for making the time and adjusting to the time difference. Uh, this is the longest uh, Instagram handle I think I've ever seen. But, uh, <laughs> it's all my name. That's all my name. <laughs> people can check it out there. And, of course, uh, they can check out your uh, website and your podcast, TooPunkToBeAHippie.com. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you like to do for fun? Do you just grab the saxophone? Is that still relaxing for you? <laughs> no. Uh, for fun, I've gotten into food. I, I'm really sad right now that we can't go to restaurants, but eventually we will again. Um, we are getting sometimes uh, pickup, but I like different ethnic food. And so Brazilian food, Ethiopian food, sushi. Like I said, I grew up in the country, so I didn't have Thai food and all these. I mean, we had Mexican food. It was Mexican food or trying our hand at meatloaf or something <laughs> like that. 
Um, but food, different cultural food is like, to me, that is so fun and it's worth the money and it's exciting and it's interesting. Different flavors are very exciting to me. Now, my mom does not typically watch these interviews. She'll watch the church ones, but not these. So I'll ask this question. Craft beer gets to be a huge thing, especially here in Vermont Hill Farmstead, number one brewery in the world for the last, what, five years, uh, seven years, something like that. Colorado, of course, brewers. Are you more of a uh, craft brew lady or do you just like your wine? Or what is your drink of choice on these hot summer afternoons? Well, if I'm, if I'm being really Latina, which is high maintenance, I would want a Corona in a glass with salt and a lime. <laughs> so, but I do, I do love craft. Like we have a lot of good beer here and I didn't know that I liked beer yeah. until I tried sours and pale ales <laughs> and left-handed brewery has a chai beer. So the mixture, you know, a, a nice milk stout, all okay. these different things are super interesting to me now, because again, talking about flavor, you just try a Coors or a Budweiser with your uncle at a barbecue. That's not beer. But then when you try different things out, you're like, wow, there's so many different pumpkin beer, jalapeno beer. There's interesting things. <laughs> yeah, we use a lot of maple. So a lot of maple stouts, a lot of maple mm-hmm. infused. Uh, it's delicious. So pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Uh, besides um, what you like to do for fun, what is a hobby that you and your husband enjoy together? Well, mostly food we do like, but also hiking. Hiking in Colorado, you can't take it for granted. It's so beautiful. There are so many different red rocks jutting out, um, different trails. We have there's the plains here in Colorado. There's tundra here. There's woods here. There's lakes. There's glacier lakes. So mostly just hiking and exploring. And now that the kids are older, they can hike for a few miles too. So that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I lived in Pagosa Springs for a couple of years. Oh, so now yeah. by Durango. And it's mm-hmm. definitely beautiful. Wolf Creek Pass, all of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I also saw you guys play in Boston. What was a favorite mm-hmm. venue that you had in the United States that you just remember fondly? Well, one of them was, I think it was called the Paradise in Boston. I don't know if you ever went to that one, but it had, it was, it was for, it had like a vibe of like 1940s. And so all the pictures had women, beautiful black and white actresses. And then it had like fish tanks all over and like uh, leopard print couches and just beautiful. And I always said I wanted a birthday party there, but I don't think they have it anymore. (laughs) Now for you and the artistic side, is that something that you, I mean, I'm just sports. Sports is like the big thing. I do enjoy (laughs) some music, but when you try to blend and you want your kids and people just to be well-rounded, how Mm -hmm. important is it that we introduce, that we uh, lift up the arts and we get Mm -hmm. uh, students involved in multiple, uh, multiple um, events so they can know? Yeah. Yeah. I think sports are very important for group, but I think what music can offer you is a chance to connect with God in a new way. Yeah. If you know piano, if you know guitar, you can lead at worship, but you can also have a moment to yourself to reflect and be creative. And there's also something said for not doing something well, for trying something like even you, Jeff, you could try something, an instrument or, uh, you know, painting or embroidery, who knows what, and just try something tactile. Um, I also think that the bummer about the arts is they're often thought of as feminine. And so I think like when it comes to piano, it's not a woman's instrument, but you know, men could be like, wow, I don't want to play that. But my son, he's 14 and he's learning how to play piano, but also drums and also bass, you know, but I think it is important that you learn an instrument just so that you have that. I don't know. It's a good way to get out energy and it's a good way to get that right brain going. 
Yeah, I tried to cheat the system. I took piano, I think, my senior year of college, mm -hmm. and uh, I just memorized everything, and I did not learn how to yeah. read music, yeah. so I kind of cheated the system, but I think I heard an interesting <laughs> thing that there's several within Five Iron that do not read music. Does yeah. that make for uh, more fun or more difficulty? No, it, it doesn't really... The only bummer about that is that we have people that say, can you give me the sheet music to mm -hmm. the song? And we're like, no, it doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> I don't, just figure it out. <laughs> <clears throat> and then also for you, I heard you uh, say that you are not a soloist, that you do not, you get more um, right. nervous about solos. What is it about that? Is it because you're unsure of yourself or you don't want the spotlight on you? No, it's kind of what you said. Like, I didn't study... Um, music enough to understand the musicality. There's mathematics to it. There are scales. There are certain notes that fit into certain scales. And I don't know them. I don't have them memorized. Yeah. And so if someone were to say this is a scale, I would say, cool. <laughs> hey, so Leonor Ortega Till, uh, thank you so much for making the time. I just want to bring up once more your uh, podcast and the website, Too Punk to Be a Hippie. What is something right now that you are uh, working on learning? And before you answer that, Vermont, mm -hmm. uh, we just went to no plastic bags at grocery stores. You actually have to cool. bring your own reusable bag. And July 1st, no food scraps are allowed in the trash. Everybody in Vermont has to compost now. Wow. Which is causing some uh, discomfort. We actually have a bear that um, probably three feet to my right uh, has hit our house yeah. multiple times this last uh, week. Mm -hmm. um, what is something that is exciting for you to learn about with taking wow. care of this creation that God's given us? I think that's awesome about the bags because that's one of those things is you can bring your bags in. Like in Germany, they've yeah. been doing that for decades. Yeah. You just take a box or a bag, a foldable box you keep in your trunk and then it's plastic and it folds flat. And then when you go into the grocery store, you just unfold it and you have it in your cart. That's easier than even bags, but we don't do it because we're not expected to. And if we're we, lazy. If we're we lazy. expect the least amount out of each other, but what I want to learn about is kombucha making. Oh, there you yeah, go. it's delicious. And so I have a friend and she, I think it's called a SCOBY. It looks like a yeah. nasty mushroom. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah. I drink, I drink kombucha, but I have not made it. And so that's going to be a process because like I'm saying, these are things that I want to do, but it doesn't just come easy. There's trial and error, and it's not expensive, but it's going to take time. On Shark Tank, there was a kombucha package that sold, and now it's wow. on Amazon. And so I'd recommend that. It's pretty good. <laughs> okay, cool. It, so makes nice. It simple. Thank you. Hey, Leonor, thank you so much. Um, final question, Five Iron Frenzy. Are you guys planning anything of note during this pandemic time? Uh, what are the plans for the fall winter touring um, how can people access your music uh, during this time yeah. of just being at home? Right now, we are not touring or playing any shows, but I will say that the current climate um, in our nation, like kind of what you said about Black Lives Matter, about the subjects that we care about, about immigration, about health, so many things, the Me Too movement, we are learning and we are growing and we are writing songs. And so there will be more from us. And there's so much more to say. And not only that, but just the idea that we don't have to fear our neighbor. God doesn't want us to fear or hate our neighbor. Right. And hate starts with fear. Yes, and so, and, and, and fear starts without engaging. 
And so even if you don't like Five Iron, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> don't fear us because we have a strong message. Check it out. See what you think. And even if you disagree, at least maybe it'll inform you of what you don't agree with. Definitely. Uh, I love the music. It's a lot of fun. And um, just thank you so much for making the time. Uh, pleasure having you on. Yeah, it was awesome to talk. Thanks, Jeff. And again, that's Leonor Ortega Till from Five Iron Frenzy. Jeff the Girl, you can uh, check uh, her podcast out and check out fiveironfrenzy.com. We'll be back and uh, trust you guys are doing well. Thanks again.